You are listening to the Anybody Can Code podcast. I am your host, Amalia Cardenas. My guest today is Caroline Sieber. Caroline has been working as a front-end engineer for over five years. She has a background in geological science and communication design. She worked as a designer for six years before transitioning into programming after completing a coding bootcamp in Barcelona. She's passionate about education, data visualization, and contributing to software that has a social impact. This episode is jam-packed with excellent advice. Caroline shares with us how getting fired from her first two jobs taught her what to look for in a company. She now knows the importance of companies who value diversity, treat people well, and are motivated by creating social impact. For those of you who are about to enter your first job, know that it can be overwhelming because you're expected to perform while you're still learning. Caroline shows us how not to let that fear turn into panic and discusses healthy ways to combat the anxiety so that your mental health is not affected. She shares with us her best advice for learning more efficiently and gives us her best tips for what companies can do to hire more women developers. So without further ado, I present to you the creative Caroline Siebert. Right. So welcome, Caroline. How are you? Very good. And you? Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I wanted to start off with just like a, a quirky, funny thing. Um, I'll ask you two questions that have nothing to do with programming, but I think it's like a good way to start the podcast. So the first one is I was looking around at your Facebook and I saw this really funny video that you posted of a group of little kids and they're at a choir and all the little kids are singing and all of them are very stiff and very obedient. And on the side, there's this little girl and she's wearing these funky little glasses and she's dancing her little heart out. And it just reminded me of you because <laughs> I think that you're, you're like that, you know, you're not afraid to march to your own beat to your own drum and to really just go for what you want. So I wanted to ask you, when you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, that's a very nice question. Actually, I was completely sure I would be a chef and um, I still do enjoy cooking. And I also still feel a little bit like at my daily job and I work as a software developer, it's a bit like cooking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I do think it's very creative. Um, and I think you put a lot of ingredients together and you have to look up stuff all the time, like you do when you do cook and look for recipes and for nice ingredient combinations and stuff like that. So I just realized that now that it's similar. I mean, <laughs> it's not something I've ever thought about, but... Now that you ask me, it kind of makes sense, <laughs> cooking and being a developer. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. And a lot of, a lot of uh, developing is, um, especially algorithms, no? it's creating recipes that then the computer, the computer can execute. True. 
Yeah, that's huh? a really beautiful way to think about it. You brought me there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And the second question that I had, which is not related to programming, but you were telling me that one of the most unforgettable experiences that impacted your life was living in Africa. So my first question is, um, how did you end up picking Africa in the first place? Oh, actually, it didn't. I didn't really pick it. It's, it's that uh, it happened to me a little bit. I was living in Berlin at the time because I grew up in the suburb of Berlin. Um, and then, of course, when I uh, was studying, I found it very cool to also live in a city. Um, and I was working as a designer in Berlin. And um, I think I started to get a little bit tired of Berlin. And I wanted to uh, see new parts of the world because I felt like my view of the world is a little bit superficial because I only knew my country. And I had a friend who told me that, actually a distant friend, more like an acquaintance. <laughs> he told me that um, he's going to be teaching in Nairobi in a school. He's going to be teaching German there. And I thought, wow, Nairobi. Um, that sounds interesting. And when I had an adventurous day, I wrote him an email after he had already gone to Nairobi. Uh, and I asked him if I can come with it. And then I thought, yeah, wait, but I need to do something there. I cannot just go. Um, so I looked in this platform called Idealista, mm -hmm. where you can find like NGO and volunteering jobs. And I actually found something in Nairobi by chance, which was a film school. Mm. So since I was a designer, I was able to provide them something, which was my knowledge. So I went there to uh, teach um, After Effects, which is like an animation software. So I was volunteering in that school. Uh, so I didn't feel like I'm just traveling as a tourist, which I always find a little bit boring. Um, I mean, if you need to recover from a job, of course, it's nice. But I, I had thought this would be nice to stay a bit longer, like a couple of months. And then it was perfect. And how long did you end up staying? Uh, good question. Two years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the whole time you were volunteering at the same school? Mm, no, I was in that school. It was planned to be three months or so. Um, but then I went back to Germany and one of the colleagues from that school wrote me when I was back in Berlin asking if I want to found a company together in Nairobi, a documentary production company. And I said, okay, fine. And then I went back, <laughs> you know, because I was young and I didn't really have, um, I don't know, a family that would depend on me or something like that. And I was adventurous. Uh, I just went. And what were you doing with a documentary company? I was also working as a designer and animator. I was like um, designing the intros for the documentaries. I was doing color correction for the video material. And I was also cooking a lot with my colleagues. <laughs> and... I was creating also 
advertising material for the company and stuff like that. Wow, that's incredible. What yeah. do you remember from your from that time? Oh, I have a lot of memories, of course. Um, I mean, to be honest, we were young. We used to go out a lot in Nairobi. And it was a bit weird because you had to go by taxi everywhere, which mm. I wasn't used to because the nights were not really safe. So I guess um, at that time, how old was I? It was in 2011. Um, I think yeah it was for me mainly an adventure and only later I realized that actually it's quite a dangerous city at that time I didn't really take it serious I think I wouldn't go to Nairobi right now <laughs> <laughs> how did you get back uh, to Berlin um I went back to Berlin because after two years I thought okay I think I definitely understood the cultural difference now. And in the end, I'm very curious about new cultures, but I wanted to live in a culture that's more similar mm -hmm. to my own one, uh, to not feel homesick and to, feel, to meet more like-minded people. And also I didn't like so much to be part of an expat community, which kind of happens if you live on another continent. Mm -hmm. And... I didn't like that being uh, like a segregated group, you know, mm -hmm. it, it felt strange. And then I thought, let me go back to Europe. So you came back to Berlin and then uh, what happened then? Um, then I kept working as a designer for a newspaper, mm -hmm. uh, a daily newspaper in Berlin, which was very, very good time because I really liked the team and it was also a very challenging um, because every day a journalist called and said, oh, tomorrow we want to publish this infographic. And infographic was kind of a topic that really interested me. Um, and I had to design an infographic from one day to another. Um, but during that work, I realized that maybe it could be done more efficiently mm -hmm. than building a new chart from scratch every day. And that's how I started to learn programming. Right, because you realize that it could, you could do it more efficiently, right? With Yeah, exactly. And I, and I tried to learn programming by myself because I thought it can't be so hard. <laughs> I tried and I realized, but it is hard. So um, I bought online like some uh, JavaScript courses and I studied maybe an hour or two in the evenings by myself. Even then I realized, okay, I'm progressing, but it takes forever to really learn software development, development. And um, that's when I found out about uh, different uh, boot camps in Europe. Mm -hmm. I knew I'm fine with going somewhere in Europe to take a boot camp. And that's how I found out about um, Iron Hack, which was new in Spain. Right. And were you attending meetups when you were teaching yourself before the boot camp or just it was completely on your own? No, it's true. I did go also to uh, Rails Girls in Berlin. 
Mm-hmm. You know, Wales curse exists all over, right? I don't even know if it's all over the world or only in Europe. I think uh, it's all over the world. Oh, nice. No, and honestly, it was uh, similar with Cold Bar, a really welcoming atmosphere, mm-hmm. a really um, friendly group. There was also nice food, which I found very attractive. <laughs> it always helps. <laughs> yeah, it always helps, exactly. Um And yeah, that even further motivated me to go that direction, you know. Right. So you find yourself in Barcelona. Um, you finish the boot camp because this was in, I think, four years ago almost. Four or even five. About five years ago. So yeah. you finished the boot camp. And for a lot of people, getting that first job is really difficult. True. What do you remember from from that first job and how did you get it? Yeah, that's a very good question. So um, the the first couple of jobs actually were interesting in, mm. a, in a special way that I'll tell you about now. So um, they were special. Now, first, I'm going to ask her, how did I get that job? So the bootcamp took place in a co-working And there were several companies there. I think it was kind of by purpose. So that you, would, you would also get in touch with companies that could be potential employers for you in the future. And there I was sometimes having coffee in front of the co-working um, with a, some people from a company that um, were also uh, looking for software developers. So after the bootcamp, I went back to Berlin and then somebody from Barcelona wrote me from that company and said, hey, do you want to work for us as a freelancer? And I said again, okay, fine, come. <laughs> and I went shortly before Christmas, actually. And I yeah. then I celebrated Christmas there. I went to work for them because they were in a rush somehow. And to be honest, the job was not what I expected and it didn't go exactly well. I think the first two jobs did not go well at all because boot camps were very new in Europe and they had totally incorrect expectation of what a boot camp graduate would be like. They thought, oh, that's going to be a developer the way they come from the university with a lot of experience. But I wasn't. I had taken a boot camp for three months and... Um, I knew nothing besides a little bit of experiments uh, coding, you know, in the during the bootcamp. I mean, a little bit, no. The nice thing about a bootcamp is that it's very practical mm-hmm. and you code a lot, but the, the background knowledge is missing a little bit. And that you can catch up with easily, though, on the job or just because you're mad and fascinated by tech. <laughs> and yeah I think that's kind of what happened to me I catched up all I need while working just because I was lost on the job right so so, uh, that I didn't mention so why were these two first jobs crazy Mm -hmm. because I got fired from both my first jobs (laughs) and that was definitely uh, very disappointing for me 
But also, since I was obsessed now with turning into developer, I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to continue somewhere else then. And um, took me, of course, a couple of days each time to come to that conclusion. But I had made really nice friends in Barcelona through that bootcamp that uh, cheered me up and motivated me and uh, that made me continue as well, of course, support from friends. Um, and I, I never regretted continuing, although the beginning was hard. Yeah, that's amazing. I think I spoke to someone else. I just had another interview this week. Yeah. Similar experience where... Um, She's joined one of the first boot camps, was one of the first cohorts. People didn't, and she joined a startup, which is very different from established companies. And she realized that in a startup, you don't really have um, mechanisms for mentoring juniors. Oh, exactly. Mm. Actually, the first job, I think it's better to do it at a little bit of a bigger company. Or they have a nice mentoring, mentorship system, you know. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're pretty lost in the beginning. And, you know, you can react to being lost in multiple ways. You can panic or you can try to see it as a challenge, I guess. Right. And oof, that's what I did because I had to. Because <laughs> somehow I had fallen in love with Barcelona and I wanted to stay and yeah and it was really Barcelona I want to stress here because a lot of people ask me oh so you went in we went to Barcelona for a man and I'm like no I was in love with Barcelona <laughs> <laughs> yeah you came all by yourself without really knowing anyone right yes exactly so yeah this uh the other person that I was going to inter that I did interview, her name is Carmen, and you'll also be able to listen to her interview. So she was saying that it was a very difficult time for her the book after the boot camp because she basically quit her job, used up all her savings, and then landed that first job, and they basically made her redundant from one day to the next. Yeah, the same happened to me. Did it. That my boss, uh, he um, wrote me an email to say that my job is over. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, looking at it now, it was such an amazing experience because now I really know, know what to look for in a company. You want to work in a company that values humans and treats people like humans. Mm -hmm. And that is respectful and that values diversity not just to have your picture on their website you know right <laughs> my goodness learned so many things from all of these from all of these um downfalls <laughs> but i think a lot of people are you know they're afraid of failing they're afraid of uh failing job interviews they're afraid of that first job you know like there's typically a probation period and they're thinking, oh, my goodness, what if I don't pass that probation period? But from what you and Carmen said, mm. you know, you can move past it. And it's typical. Don't worry about it. It happens. Mm -hmm. Pick I yourself up. Mm -hmm. Completely. Pick yourself up. And also, 
I think it was pretty good that I had a career before that that was not very stable and safe. Okay. Because as a designer, I mean, if you work for an advertisement company, maybe, like a famous consultancy, then you have a stable job. But as a designer in general, you're always struggling for clients. Okay. So and that's you... why mm-hmm. I kind of knew what it's like to live in... Um, I don't want to say live in fear, which is exaggerated. <laughs> but um, you kind of know what it's like to uh, fight through the days and weeks, you know? Wow. I okay. That, so that was really good preparation to yeah. be flexible and have the ability to bounce back and quickly search for the next thing. True. And and yeah, I was also working as a freelancer because I didn't want to work for a company as a designer. Mm-hmm. And right now, I don't know if it will change one day, but now I would say I don't want to be a freelancer because um, it scared me a little bit. But maybe at some point it's going to change. So this period was uh, quite difficult looking back. Um, what did you learn from it? About uh, yourself. From, from the period after the boot camp? Yeah. Ooh. Um, I think I'm also an anxious person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I learned from it is that I shouldn't let this fear turn into panic and uh, let myself be overcome by it. Mm-hmm. I, I learned a lot of practical things, which is, I mean, everyday life things. For example, I was always against, almost against workout. <laughs> and I started to work out only after starting to work as a software developer because oh. it was so stressful at the beginning. And I felt so overwhelmed by all that pressure to keep learning and to uh, perform and stuff. And only that made me start working out. Um, And that is actually um, investing actively in your well-being, you know, Mm -hmm. which which I think has a very good impact on your mental health, which I didn't know. I didn't know that um, taking care of yourself uh, physically affects your well-being so much. Yeah, and I think it affects your learning too, no? So much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, honestly, I learn only, and I think it's even proven, after a good night of sleep. Right. And so what you eat, what how you sleep, yeah. um, it affects how you program as well. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure. That's one thing I learned for sure, to take care of myself. Also, not be harsh with myself and too strict you know um for example um i don't know if after two hours of work i already feel like it's the end of the work day i give myself a proper break and a very very big snack and even a little walk although maybe that's not um what your boss would like to see, you know? <laughs> I yeah, mean, but... Mm-hmm. 
in the cliche company, you know, right. nine to five company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, taking care of myself, seeing my limitations, you know, also uh, self care. If let's say I haven't had a good night, and I um, decide to have a nap at five p.m., mm-hmm. uh, but then you know I can just catch up on a day when I'm better. Right. Yeah, I think that's very important. Um, also, I learned a lot about how I learn. Hmm. Okay. Tell us more about that. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. And I wonder, I think it's different for different people. But for me, I realized that um, I learn not very well with reading books about programming. Mm -hmm. And I really love reading and I like to read novels and I really enjoy them. And I also really enjoy reading technical books. But that didn't teach me programming. Mm. And I thought I would read books and then I see a coding challenge and then I just magically know and just do it, you know, like in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> like in the movies where people are geniuses and they just suddenly have an idea and then they work all the night and then it's done. <laughs> It's not like that in so my how life, does, at least. How does it happen for you? For me, I I'm really a friend of active listening. I like mm. to talk through problems with my peers and colleagues and my team. Now mm-hmm. we're working with squats, for example, mm-hmm. like a group of four or five people, no? Uh, and I really like to talk with them through a problem that mm-hmm. we have to work on to design the solution and I like to listen to um, one of the team members for example presenting the issue and then repeat the same thing to see I mean in my own words to see if I understood correctly that, that's at least how I understand active listening and it, it really helps me a lot and to look at a complex problem and simplify it more and more and more and mm-hmm. especially with words until um you can oversee a solution how do you do that how do you simplify it like what would be an example of a complex problem that you simplify uh, yeah mm, for example that one is quite visual that's why it's nice in the first company where I liked working, let's say, as a developer, mm-hmm. um, we were basically creating data visualization to visualize industrial processes. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them was a machine which had a lot of pumps with fluids running through. And uh, it was different set of pumps working together and uh, as a developer, I realized that I have to first understand how one pump works mm. and um, describe its properties. You know, like in object-oriented programming, when you describe 
uh, one uh, instance mm -hmm. <laughs> with properties. And only later, after having programmed how one pump could be visualized, you show how the whole set works. That's terrific. Basically, mm -hmm. yeah, I think basically, yeah, simplifying until you feel like the challenge doesn't feel overwhelming anymore. Mm -hmm. The complete challenge. And how did you learn to do that? Or by um, failing terribly, because I'm I'm not a very systematic person or developer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what I used to do is I saw um, a coding challenge or an issue at work, and I just started because mm. I got really excited and I just started and and wrote a lot of stuff. And after half a week, I realized oh. Um, Actually, I did completely the wrong thing. <laughs> I had to throw stuff away. And, and throwing stuff away as a coder is normal. Mm -hmm. But I think um, you can work more efficiently. <laughs> I think that's a very typical, it's a common mistake of beginners, no? to get started as soon as you possibly can. But when you see more experienced developers, they actually spend a lot of time thinking about the problem and then maybe even pseudocoding steps. And then once they have like the tiniest little step that they can write code, then you start. True. Also reminds me of something. The other day I had to help interviewing a developer and he said that he believes that um, after, if you work on an issue mm -hmm. alone for two days mm. and you're not done, it means that the issue is too big. Wow. That's and that you should ask for help. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Very simplified, of course. You cannot generalize that, um, that rule. But it kind of described what I noticed that, especially working remotely, mm -hmm. um, alone at home, that if you... If you're in a very complex issue by yourself, then you can get so lost. Mm -hmm. And that you, you should try to stay in touch as much as possible with your that's, teammates. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, we'll get to the working from home because you have a lot of experience with this, right? Yeah. And I think it will be really interesting for a lot of people, A, that are learning on their own. Maybe they're not part of a community yet. Um, or B, also there's a lot of people now with the COVID situation that you have to work from home. So I think you, you've you had several years of working from home and I think mm. you can offer a lot of tips. But I wanted to ask you about um, going back to that job just to tie it up, that the first two jobs that... Um, you got fired from and you learned a lot of those lessons. How did you, did you identify like what were the reasons why you got fired and how did you get better? Yeah, uh, I totally identified it. Um, I think these kind of employers, they saw me and they thought, oh, cool, she's a woman and she's a developer. 
we need some women in our company. Let's hire her. So first of all, they didn't even listen or look at what I've actually done. They just wanted to um, improve their own image by having me there. Mm. And that showed me that I have to be not only let myself be analyzed by employers, but also analyze them and see uh, what they can offer me. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want this to sound arrogant, but I think it's also important to look for um, a company that um, matches your values set and um, has like a similar interest in, I don't know, impact on the world or... um, yeah, especially the values, I think, should match. And I, that, the, both of these companies were also startups. Mm-hmm. And they just wanted to get a lot of shit done in a short time, you know. They didn't care about anything else. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you the mean they didn't, comp- care, they didn't care about quality or what? Um, they didn't care about burning people is what I mean because mm-hmm. it was this kind of startup where people stay only for a short time okay um, and the interesting thing was the this company was actually an educational startup creating mm-hmm. like um, uh, applications for uh, secondary schools uh, for to help kids learn um, different content. And I thought, wow, they're doing an educational software. There must be nice people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's not that easy. Just because they do cool stuff doesn't mean they are um, people that you want to work with and that you respect and that they will respect you. Oh, respect, by the way, is one of the most important things for me because I... I read in an article that sadly I forgot where I read that, <laughs> that your happiness at work um, is very much defined by um, how much you respect your boss. Oh, wow. Because, you know, the, the management style and the values of the boss kind of trickle down into the whole company. And if you don't, if you're not aligned really, Mm-hmm. then it will uh, affect your daily work somehow. Yeah, and it definitely does. I've had that happen as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I learned to be more careful with what roles and companies I pick. And I really care now about um, working in a company with a good company culture Mm-hmm. Rather than one that does cool shit. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I said cool shit, but <laughs> I really like to say cool shit somehow. <laughs> so how can newbies, you know, uh, people who are not really aware of, how can you find that company culture? What are some red flags that you've learned now through having been at multiple companies? What should people be looking up for? Oh, very good question. And I think it's actually quite easy I realized that I always had a gut feeling about these companies Mm. and I didn't listen to it. Um, 
I think if you meet teammates or the boss in an interview and you feel a bit uncomfortable mm -hmm. around them and you don't really feel like it's somebody that you would like to have a coffee with, mm -hmm. um, then it's not yet a red flag, but it's a bad sign, I would say. Mm -hmm. I really like to, and I think people like to work with people they enjoy being around, you know? Because mm -hmm. in the end, if you work in a company, you're like supporting somebody else's values, you know? Mm -hmm. You're giving your lifetime for to support somebody else's idea. So you really should rather be aligned. Okay, so that gut feeling, you'll know right away and people should listen to it. If you mm -hmm. go in and somehow you just feel uncomfortable because... Yeah. What's the difference between feeling nervous when you go to a job interview? Because that, you know, you get the butterflies in the stomach and being uncomfortable. Ah, I think being nervous is actually a good thing. Huh? Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, if you go to an interview and you're nervous first, it means that you're excited about the role. Mm -hmm. And also it means that um, you are not arrogant and you are modest and you're not sure if you're good enough that's actually a quality I would say <laughs> that's a good thing no mm -hmm. yeah but that know. uncomfortableness people know they should check their gut and if yeah there's something off and, and to be honest um it's also possible and it happened to me a lot that I wasn't sure about my gut feeling if it's mm -hmm. good or bad Because it's not that simple, right? It's not only black and white, mm -hmm. especially with feelings. <laughs> um, so if you don't have a clear feeling, then you can also just try out that job or um, yeah, or, or yeah, actually trying it out and making your own experiences, I think is the best idea because there's a probation period for companies, but also for employees. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. To if see you don't if, like it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in general, in the beginning after the boot camp, I felt also a little bit like um, I'm going to take whatever mm. where, where they want me to work for them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's fine also to get your first experience. Um, yeah. 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 And to have it, uh, I think for a lot of people listening that they should realize that if that first experience doesn't go so well, it's okay, move on. Because yeah. this industry moves so quickly. And I've just seen your progression in the last four years. The, um, and also, you know, the, the person I interviewed this week, she told me the same thing. The first experience was awful. And then she landed into her second uh, job and she's been there for four years. She loves it. You are at a job that you really enjoy right, right now as well. Yeah. So it progresses quickly. It's just um, what she mentioned was, you know, uh, don't quit because quitting is forever, but that 
pain is temporary. So push through the pain. It's going to get better. Yeah, I would totally sign up for that as well. (laughs) (laughs) So now you've been in several companies where you were the only female developer. Yeah, a bunch. What was that like? Yeah, it was very challenging. First, in the beginning, I was proud of it. And I was like, cool, I'm the only woman. That's nice. Um, Because... um, yeah, why is it nice? I thought um, I want to also be an ex- a good example, you know, for for other women to to show them that the tech world is for everybody. <laughs> um, and I'm still, in a way, proud of it, but also um, I did notice that it's challenging. Mm-hmm. Mm, and now I don't think I would if I had a job offer in a company where there's no other women or a very low ratio mm-hmm. um, I, I think I wouldn't do that anymore to, to start accepting a job offer which has um, the yeah not a good constellation and why not? Oh, yeah. Um, I wouldn't accept it because um, I feel like um, the the company that allows that um, has worked hard enough on making it a diverse company. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think also a company that has a diverse team. Actually, this is not I think. This is I read. <laughs> I read that companies that are very diverse are actually more innovative. Mm-hmm. Because people have like different ways to work. Um, and yeah, I just felt um, safer when my team's where um, very much more varied, you know? Yeah. What did, you said it was something intangible that uh, it was hard to describe when teams were not very diverse and you felt much more comfortable when other, you had other colleagues that were female or, or it was just a more diverse team in general. Mm-hmm. Can you give examples of what that intangible? Uh, what was the the uncomfortable? Yeah, thing? that something that it's hard to describe and pinpoint why it just wasn't a good environment. For example, I felt like when I was in teams where I was a minority, I didn't grow a lot as a developer. Hmm. Um, and I felt like I had to always um, prove that I'm a great developer Mm -hmm. also coming from a boot camp I thought maybe is not as impressive as having a computer science degree 
But mm-hmm. then later I realized, wait, the other ones also come from weird backgrounds. Um, so, yeah. And did I, did I even answer your question already? Uh, yeah, you, you were saying that you, f- you felt that um, when you were the only female developer, you didn't grow as much. Yeah, I think that, that summarizes it pretty well. Mm-hmm. For example, now I'm in a team. Now it's also a bit funny because as I said, we have squads now. Mm-hmm. And in the company, there is maybe, never really counted, I think there's 20 developers. Mm-hmm. And there is five women. And in my team, we are four women. <laughs> So basically, we all collected in one small team. And this team is amazing because we share a lot of knowledge. Wow. That's one thing that um, I I miss and I, I always ask for and I dream of mm-hmm. when I'm not in diverse teams to share knowledge and learnings, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't know why um, it's related to gender in some way. I just haven't grasped it yet. But you have uh, experienced it that in teams where, in your particular situation, it just the knowledge sharing just wasn't there, and you're experiencing it now with exactly mm-hmm. yeah. So now, for example, when one of us. Uh, understood something they have been struggling with for a week or even a month, we come to Slack and we say, look, everybody, I've got it finally. Look, 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 I don't want this to happen to you. So now I'm going to explain to you what I've just learned to help you in the future. And that's for me is a good team. That's amazing, yeah. Sadly, what a lot of developers do when they find out something that they've been struggling with for a while, they they rub their hands and they're like, ha, 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 ha. now I understood and the other ones didn't. Now I'm the, the magician, you know, that mm-hmm. knows the magic potions recipe. <laughs> yeah, obviously, it's too simple to say that this is always related to gender. Mm-hmm. But but that's one thing I noticed in that team now, and I'm just guessing that it could be in some way related. Um, but I'm not sure. Or maybe it could be as what what you said. You know, companies that uh, have not thought about diversity also haven't thought about their company culture and having inclusive environments, having knowledge sharing. Um, that's part of the company culture. Yeah, true. So maybe it's not related to gender. Maybe it is. Who knows? Yeah. Actually, it also doesn't matter. Company culture is what really does matter. (laughs) So you were mentioning um, that, you know, there's all of these companies that want to have that picture of the woman developer on their website Um, everyone wants to hire women developers. So imagine your your boss asks you, what are three things that we could do to hire more women developers? What would be the 
a good way to approach this? Mm. I mean, okay. For example, I met a girl a while ago that is working um, in uh, like system administration. It's like a field where there's even less women mm -hmm. for a reason, I don't know, um, that, that I don't understand. Anyway, so in my company, we were looking for a similar role. So I suggested her and developers that looked through her CV, they said, um, no, but she doesn't have enough experience. And... I think it's completely fine to say as a company, we have a ratio, we want to have a ratio of 50-50. That's why we're going to give her a chance, although she doesn't have enough experience. Mm -hmm. Because you cannot judge anybody just by looking at their CV, I think. Mm. So yeah, a ratio is fine. Also, one thing that we're doing, which I am really happy about, is that um, if in my team... We interview people, mm -hmm. um, and although I'm not the team lead, mm -hmm. I'm allowed to lead the interview if it's a female applicant to see if um, it has any effect on the outcome of the um, of the interview. Mm -hmm. Because um, one thing I noticed is that if a company starts hiring more women and it affects other women um, and they think oh this might be a comfortable place and there's others that are like me so yeah maybe I will also be happy there mm -hmm. that's why yeah they sometimes allow me to interview other women mm -hmm. but also um, if it's a male applicant it's interesting if it changes about it changes how they react, you know. Have you seen and how they communicate? Have you seen that it does or have any impact if you're interviewing a male candidate? I haven't seen an effect in the interview because I wasn't interviewing alone. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody's showing their best um, side. <laughs> but I could imagine that there's people that. Um, would present themselves differently in an interview according to the interviewer. Mm -hmm. So that's number two. Number three would be, um, I think, supporting um, institutions, organizations mm -hmm. that um, try to... Um, be engaged in making teams more diverse or making the tech sector more diverse mm -hmm. can be a super, super great idea. For example, Codebar right. um, sent some or, or advertised for their developers to go to some of their boot camps. And I think it, it gave um, also good advertisement Mm -hmm. to, to them and gave them good experiences you know right and I think also uh, they can a lot of people have been hired from code bar 
yeah. to companies. Yeah. 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 These are three, I would say, simple steps people could do. Yeah, those are quite good good ideas. The first one being um, have that ratio in place. And even though you can't, a candidate might not have the years of experience, maybe they're quick learners and you could figure out other indicators that that person would be a good fit and could learn quickly. And then the second thing is um, change the way that you interview have females interviewing other females or have a presence of a woman in in the interview process and see yeah. if that helps and then the third just there's a lot there's a very you know rich tech scene and a lot of different organizations working on um, different issues women who code here in Barcelona, you know, Rails Girls, there's um, Ada JS, there's Code Bar. Globally, there's so many different initiatives. Microcode. Um, get involved in the tech community and, and you'll see that uh, mentor people, even if, because one of the things that a lot of companies say, okay, we're a startup, we don't have enough money to implement those ratios that's okay you could um mentor people for free mm -hmm. and especially if you if you tell your developers hey why don't you help out at this um, meetup they even get to know potential candidates during yeah, that's true. the mentoring sessions mm -hmm. And I think, especially during a pair programming session, which is what Codebar does, um, you really get to know how somebody thinks and works. Mm -hmm. That's true. Very, very great ideas. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and what can they do to create more inclusive environments? Because one thing uh, that you mentioned is, okay, you might be hired, but then you're in this toxic environment and there's a lot of... Um, not just women, but people of color, people of different um, sexual orientations that, you know, they don't feel comfortable in a company because the environment is not inclusive. Hmm. I mean, it's definitely a process to have a good company culture. Um, I think we have, for example, a working group mm -hmm. that analyzes... Um, how the company works um, continuously. For example, I don't know, analyzing the job applications, mm. if they are um, approaching specific groups or if they are uh, open for everybody and if they're attracting everybody. Um, yeah, having a working group is quite interesting. You know, that spent maybe an hour or two a week on um, thinking about first really thinking about and working on how how the company could have a friendlier atmosphere friendly to everybody mm -hmm. um, also yeah I think writing down 
like a set of rules about how you would like people to be treated, what values you care about. Mm. Oh, and most importantly, having like a set of communication rules, mm. you know, mm -hmm. what is, uh, make everybody know what is nonviolent communication. Um, how do you don't, how do you not judge your teammates work um, in a while while talking about it mm -hmm. and how do you be how can you be respectful because I think a lot of it I've also done and everybody has done and it can uh, chase people away you know mm -hmm. so it's very good to be aware of it it's also often um kind of imprinted in our society you know how we talk to each other and it's good to doubt it and um double check if we treat each other in a respectful way mm -hmm. that's pretty important yeah that's really important i think communication is the basis of any relationship let alone mm -hmm. work environments where you're spending a good amount of your day there no True. Uh, uh, let me tell you an example, um, because that's one thing that happened to me actually at work. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, I was pair programming with a colleague and he um, kept saying to me, oh, you're not understanding me. And I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, um, what do you mean? What, what is it that you wanted to explain to me? And he said, yeah, no, no you, you didn't understand me. And I realized afterwards that I was really offended by that and I didn't know why. And I just couldn't grasp it. And then later I read about nonviolent communication and I had a workshop in my team. And I heard that actually the right thing to say would be, uh, I didn't explain myself right. Because mm. he kind of... Um, blamed me for not understanding what he says mm -hmm. although it could have been that maybe he didn't use the right language right yeah that for me that was a very important moment somehow because I don't know I, I felt really bad after that session and um, only later I understood why yeah because the blame was being placed on you right Exactly. Solely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas communication goes both ways. Yeah. Hmm. So that's a good one to note. Uh, yeah. Nonviolent communication and investing a lot in communication in general. Yeah. Helpful for uh, creating more inclusive environments. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you now about remote working because there's a lot of people who are finding themselves in this situation now and you have a lot of years of experience, not only with development, but a lot of your design work was remote. True. Completely remote, I only turned as a software developer. Mm -hmm. And this is funny. I mean, I really enjoyed working remotely But last year, in autumn or so, I started to work in a company where I work now. And I started to work at this company. Um, I wanted to start working there also 
because I wanted to stop working remotely. Um, and then the pandemic came and now I'm remote again. <laughs> it's funny. How ironic. <laughs> yeah, but uh, luckily I already know what it's like to work remotely. And I'm also enjoying it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how things go, you know. So what are some of your most important lessons of uh, effective remote working? Um, definitely, it's very important to have a good schedule. Mm. Like to say, um, I don't start working before 9 a.m., for example. If you know that 9 a.m. is good for you. Mm-hmm. Because what I sometimes did is I didn't even have proper breakfast. And I sat down on my at my laptop um, to start working, I don't know, at 7.30 because I was just really stuck in a problem. And two hours later, I found myself sitting there in a pyjama <laughs> and I haven't even had breakfast yet and I was wondering why I felt so bad (laughs) because I haven't even started the day properly and had a Mm. coffee and had breakfast so you know especially with programming you can a bit lost you can get a bit lost in a positive way yeah because you get into the flow you know of working Mm -hmm. very important to still have a schedule have um yeah, a time where you start, a time where you end, a time where you have a break. I'm not saying it has to be the same time every day, mm-hmm. but um, you really have to make sure to allow yourself these things. So rituals and routines. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned um, in uh, in some of something that you told me was that you or you mentioned. That exercise is a really important. How do ah, yes. you how do you exercise in the morning? Do you still do it now? Yeah, I still do it now, not as much because I have a little baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I work out. If I work out at all, I work out in the morning because that's when I have most energy and then also motivation. And um, so, if I work out, I work in the morning right after waking up. Wow. Um. And I just have a cookie or a banana or something like that. Otherwise, I don't make it home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I go running. Yeah. But okay. I don't run, but I don't run crazy long. Huh? And I run ridiculously slow. Uh-huh. So people look at me and I think they think I'm walking, but I'm actually running. Mm-hmm. There's actually a um, Japanese sports called slow running. I think that's what I'm doing unconsciously. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I must do it in the morning. And every day when I do it, I'm just so much more productive. Wow. So much more like I feel relaxed and I start my day and I'm my mind is more free to think somehow as if it feels as if um, my brain is bigger or something like that (laughs) so how do you do that with a baby ah that's yeah that's a good question i have a a push chair where you can put your baby in so you take the baby with you i take the baby with me or 
um, my partner and me, we work out on, <laughs> on different days. Mm-hmm. So sometimes uh, I go run alone, mm-hmm. for example, if it's really rainy and I don't want to bring her outside. Um, and then he's, uh, she stays home with him and I run alone. But sometimes I also bring her. Wow, that's incredible. I am just shocked <laughs> because <laughs> I've been trying to run as well and it's quite difficult with babies, so I understand. But it's part of your uh, ritual to get into the mode of working from home. Yeah, especially because uh, if you work from home, you move much less. I mean, that's one thing that people notice now in the pandemic. They don't mm-hmm. move anymore. And they easily get frustrated and tired. And also there's a rise in mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely also related to lack of physical um, activity. Yeah, definitely. So and any other tips? Any oh. other tips for uh, effective remote working besides keeping keeping a schedule? Maybe it's not the same. Uh, every day but try to keep those rituals that anchor you Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, another thing I noticed is that if you have a team uh, if you have a meeting that matters for you that um, provides important information to you and that is supposed to bring a decision Mm -hmm. write a message or or an email if you still write email (laughs) afterwards and write down the things that you think you agree on mm-hmm. and confirm if this is what uh, the others also are aware of. Mm. Because what can happen, especially at remote meetings, is that you, you're debating and you're discussing, but um, you're not really sure about what has actually been decided at the meeting. So, yeah, write a message and summarize what you talked about mm-hmm. and ask your teammates if if you agree about this. Because there's even more misunderstandings is what I've seen. Um, also, um, especially if you're a new, new developer, but it still happens to me, sometimes you hide a little bit at home and you're mm-hmm. like hoping that nobody sees how bad of a developer you are and force yourself to show what you've worked on anyway and have pairing sessions or Mm -hmm. have code reviews to to have more eyes looking onto your code early on because otherwise the fear is just getting bigger and bigger and yeah, collaborate a lot, have a lot of pair programming sessions mm-hmm. and also offer your help a lot. Mm. Don't be afraid to throw away code. Don't feel attached to your own code, super important. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but specifically as a remote developer, what else could I say? Uh, try to find ways also to spend leisure time with your teammates. Mm, that's a very important one. I think you also mentioned in one of your uh, remote teams, you had like a Slack channel where you celebrated things, yeah. no? 
Yeah, yeah, it's true. And now we, we meet uh, once a week and play online games together. <laughs> <laughs> and I offered my teammates, and they were excited about it, to give them an online ginger breaking, eh, gingerbread baking class. That's and amazing. We're going to do that. We're going to bake cookies online together. I must it's say, important. your gingerbread cookies are amazing. <laughs> I'm going to make them soon. Soon it's Christmas. Getting ready. Very good. Well, um, I wanted to ask you one more last question before we get to like a little section, which is a fun rapid fire. Yeah. So you've been at your job now. You've been a developer for a few years now, and um, you've been through highs and lows and you know, stability points. And now like you've reached a point where you're more comfortable. How do you keep doing your job passionately? Ah, yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so in a lot of companies, as a developer, you have a, a bunch of, you have like a board with issues and you can pick really. Sometimes you also get assigned issues, but mostly you can volunteer and say, this is what I want to work on. Keep um, making sure that you work on issues that challenge you. Hmm. That's super important because sometimes I, you know, that's a lie. Often I'm lazy <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, let me do the ones I know. Mm -hmm. Let me do the issues that um, I can easily solve and where I don't have to think much. But uh, what happens is that I get bored and then I'm not so passionate about it anymore. Mm. And also keep checking if, um, if you feel challenged and if you're still learning enough. Mm -hmm. um, also, that's one thing I recently found out. Get to know yourself and find out how you react to being bored how you react to boredom. Yeah. I noticed on myself, the more bored I'm of my job, the more I'm get active on social media. Okay. Or the more I, I don't know, buy furniture online. Hmm. Because, um, you know, it, I think everybody does it. And if people say no, they're lying especially um, working online, working remotely, you do a lot of procrastination, although you're in your work hours. And um, yeah, I think it's not something anybody is proud of, but maybe it's a sign that you're bored. And that you honest, need to be challenged, right? Exactly. That you need to be challenged. Mm -hmm. And don't, don't hate yourself for it, you know, for procrastinating, mm -hmm. but notice that you want to be challenged. Mm -hmm. that's one thing I learned recently that because I sometimes have phases where I don't know I watch too much Netflix or I'm too much on social media and I realize oh this is the time when I need to learn something new mm -hmm. and challenge yourself now how do you balance especially as a beginner um, because everything on that board you know on the on the issues board seems really overwhelming how did you, and you know, you mentioned that you were a little bit anxious and a lot of people who are new to 
two jobs are anxious as well. How do you balance that feeling of overwhelm with needing to be challenged? Um, I think that the, the moment in your workday where you pick an issue mm -hmm. shouldn't be uh, rushed through. So take your time to read through the issue descriptions. And if there's one where you understand at least which repository to work on, where the application it could be, um, then that's already pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, but if there's nothing that you understand at all, what it could be about, and that happens, then um, also you could ask around and say, hey, what could be a good issue to work on for somebody like me? Mm, okay. Um, yeah, but definitely look through the issue descriptions well. And what I also do a lot, you know, because I want to feel independent, is I... You know, often they mention, I don't know, function names or file names that should be worked on. Mm -hmm. I look through the code base by myself mm -hmm. to find out what the problem is about that should be solved. Okay. So that, that I think with searching in the code base, you can, you can find out quite a bit. If you're, if you're um, confident and, or if you try to be confident, because mm -hmm. you're still learning to be confident. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, I get it. So basically, um, don't rush the process. Look, have a poke around yourself first. And then the second part is don't be afraid to ask for help. Maybe initially you might need help, um, as you said, figuring out exactly what that issue is and wrapping your head around it and seeing whether it's something you can tackle. And it's okay initially when you're beginning to do that. Yeah. And also much more important or as important rather uh, is to set yourself a limit maybe mm. until when you'll be looking by yourself until you ask for help, because asking for help is so amazing and it's so important and it's also so hard. <laughs> Because it happened to me so many times that I felt hesitant to ask for help. Mm -hmm. and then I did ask for help after a day or so. Mm -hmm. And the other developers told me, oh, actually, I forgot to explain that. Oh, no, I forgot to add that detail. You could have never found that by yourself. And then you realize, oh, no, I should have asked earlier. So, yeah, don't hesitate to ask, but also try by yourself a couple of hours. Yeah, everyone, every single interview that I've done keeps saying the same thing. Ask for help. Don't be afraid. Ask for help. Yeah, and it's so hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, it still happens to me that I ask too late. And I work as a developer for five years now <laughs> because I want to be, you know, I want to be too independent. And keeping... Talking and communicating is so important and collaborating. Collaborating, absolutely. Yeah. Very good. Well, we'll end now with our rapid fire questions. These are just for a bit of fun. Yeah, okay. Nice. 
What is the secret talent that you have? Oh, secret talent. I think I definitely have a lot of own will and I'm not easily convinced about changing my mind. <laughs> can be a bad thing, can be a good thing. I think it's also called being stubborn. Stubborn. So <laughs> double-edged sword, no? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very good. What is your most used emoji? Um, I think it is a taco. A taco? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Is there something you've dreamt of doing for a long time? Um, yeah, actually, I kind of always had this vision, sounds a bit too much, but this dream, rather, of being an inventor. Huh. Because I really like to solve problems. And, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say no to one day focus on inventing things maybe i'm gonna stop working as a developer and invent stuff for example i don't know every time i come from the shower i'm too lazy to dry myself and i would like to have a machine to dry myself off at once you know in two seconds <laughs> yeah that would be nice very good um what are the five most important things on your bucket list a bucket list? Is it like a to-do list? It's a list of like, like dreams that you've always wanted to accomplish. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. Like um, things you want to do before you die. <laughs> oh, that I want to do before I die. Oh, yeah. Um, I definitely want to do surfing. Mm. I've, went, I've been to one surfing class and I really enjoyed it. And I went to spend a summer surfing that would be great um, and I think I also kind of want to have a nice garden with fruits and vegetables fronts um, and uh, whoo, the bucket list I don't really have bucket lists <laughs> but it's a good question. Oh, I also want to be able, or I'd rather take the time to paint more giant paintings. Soon. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, to create maybe decorations for my own place or friends and family's places. Um, also, I would like to be able to read one book a month. This is already five. Where are we? <laughs> I haven't counted. Maybe four or five. <laughs> yeah. Read more books. That would be great. That's I a really good one. I think that would make me feel super happy. <laughs> great bucket list, especially all the gardens and the surfing and lots of creativity in your future yeah what's one rule you have for yourself that you will never break oh um oh wait um 
I first I wanted to say I never want to lie to myself, but we lie to ourselves all the time, so that's unrealistic. Um, oh, I think I'll never stop listening to my gut feeling. That's mm. something I had to learn, and I never, I never stop again because I think there's so much in your gut feeling, like instinct and. I think it's very much related to knowledge and experience also. It's not just gut feeling. Mm. So listening to your gut feeling, you have forever. to forever. Mm -hmm. That's a very good one. I think you'll get very far listening to your gut feeling. <laughs> and lastly, what's the best lesson you've learned from your parents? Oh, from my parents. Uh, that's a nice one also. Um, I think they definitely teach me to be very independent. Mm. Yeah, I find that very important. I mean, I don't mean only independent as a woman, but also as a woman. Amazing. Yeah. That's terrific. Well, Carolina, I want to thank you so much for having you on. And I want to acknowledge you for your generosity. I think you're one of the most giving people that I know. Oh, um, that's so kind. There's this wonderful giphy of these women pulling each other up. I don't know if you've seen it. It's no, like a send it to me. It's a continuous loop. Like one woman pulls one up and then the other one grabs her by the legs and it's just this continuous loop and I think for me you really embody that you're just I you've mentored me so much you've helped so many other people and I know you've touched my life and a lot of other lives as well so I want to acknowledge you and thank you for your generosity your curiosity wow. your creativity your spontaneity um you're just a joy to know and to be around oh now i'm a little bit touched amalia <laughs> thank you so much for your kind words